I'm going to go ahead and pray. Let's pray. God, our Father, we praise you this day. We glorify you. And we thank you, God, that in fact you are God. We praise you for your glory. And we honor you and we bless you this day. We thank you, Lord, that you give us our life and our breath and everything that we have. We recognize your sovereignty over our lives, over history and over the universe, which you have made for your own purpose. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your great love and your mercy to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I pray, O oh God, as we begin to focus and study what your holy word has to say concerning the death of your son, our Lord Jesus, God, that you would give light to our eyes, that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, that you would give us revelation from heaven and cause us to see and to understand and to know the depth of the love that you have for us in the way that you have expressed it. God, help us to see clearly the things that you have done and help us to gain an accurate biblical understanding. I I pray, God, that even as we come to know and learn these things, that you would uh, that you would uh, strengthen our faith and give us zeal and boldness, God, that we might be ministers of this glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us to be an evangelical people, a people who are compassionate and who care that people are lost and dying. And God, put your holy word in our mouth and, and, and motivate us by your spirit, Lord, to see people be saved through the preaching of your gospel. I pray that each one of us would recognize our responsibility and our obligation as Christians, Lord, to share this message of your love. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather here and to freely proclaim and to study your word this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, today marks the transition in our study from talking about the person of Jesus Christ to talking about the work of Jesus Christ. And so, if you will, the the lessons will be titled, uh, going forward from today, The Work of Jesus Christ. And we're moving on uh, from that understanding of Jesus as Savior and Lord and talking about what does that mean? What does it mean that He's Savior? What has He done to save us? And uh, if you will, uh, the Bible has a, uh, a ton of things to say about this issue and so uh, we're going to kind of dive off into that and talk about that today. I wanted to recommend some materials to you last week, and I kind of ran out of time. Uh, but I do want to recommend this one in hopes that some of you, maybe even many of you, might run out and get this and start reading it along with our class. I think it would be tremendously beneficial for you. And if you do not have this book in your library, you need it. It's called uh, Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John Murray. Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John Murray. Okay. This is by far the most concise, clear book on the doctrine of salvation that I know of. It's, I mean, it's, it's set apart from all other books that I have read on salvation because of its 
It's concise clarity. He's very much to the point. He's very well organized in his thought, in his thinking, in his speaking, and he communicates very clearly biblical truth, and he doesn't leave anything out. So, uh, I mean, it's just a, it's a short little book, but it's a great one. Okay, He was a professor at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia for many years. Okay? John Murray, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. If you were to get a copy of this book and read along with our lessons over the next six to eight weeks, I think you would really, really gain a lot more than just coming to the class and just looking at the materials and, and the scriptures. This would really help you to, to, uh, to see more comprehensively than just what we're, we're uh, covering here. Okay. Uh, with that, let's, uh, we'll start here on page 37. And uh, we're going to talk about the cross. And so the lesson is entitled, The Cross, the Work of Jesus Christ. And then there is a subtitle, The Atonement, Salvation Accomplished. Salvation Accomplished. So there's quite a bit to this this study. I kind of want to warn you that there's a lot of theological terms involved. But I'm going to try to define those for you, and I really don't think it's beyond anybody's capacity to grasp these simple biblical terms and what they mean. It's just that when you start talking about the work of Christ on the cross, it takes a lot of different kinds of words and types and ideas to describe all that God has done there. And so the Bible has a lot to say about it, and it uses a lot of different kinds of terms, but it uses very specific terms. And they're terms that we need to understand, especially, you know, we're growing in our faith. We're reading our Bible every day. We're reading the New Testament. We're thinking and meditating on these truths. It's very important that we learn what they mean. And so I'm going to kind of have a section where I'm defining these terms for you. And I think it's really going to help. But to get started, I want to kind of step back and look again with you from the perspective of heaven. And, you know, we need to stop thinking like men. We have the mind of Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we understand and discern spiritual truth. We have the ability, through the Word of God and by the Spirit of God, to see the world as it is in truth, the way God created it to be. And we understand the reasons why God made the world. And we understand the reasons for for what God has done because he has clearly spoken it to us and explained it to us and given us the Holy Spirit whose ministry is to lead us and guide us into all truth. So we have these things and we need to be good stewards of them. We have the knowledge of God and we need to be a good steward of it. We need to grow in the knowledge of God. And, and, of course, that this is, it is the wellspring of this knowledge that causes us to grow in our faith and grow in this intimate relationship that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us to grasp these things. But what I'm getting at is when we consider the cross and we consider salvation and we consider what Jesus did there, we need to think about it not in earthly terms. We need to think about it in heavenly terms. We need to understand it from God's perspective. Because God uh, is the one who authored all of the events. 
God is the one who created the world for these very things to come to pass. And so it's important that we understand from a heavenly perspective what God has done, or if you will, an eternal perspective. We, we talk about as Christians a lot developing an eternal perspective to see things from outside of time and space because time and space is a created property that are created properties that, that are governed by God, by his providence, for his own purposes. And, and those purposes, he's explained those to us. But if you will, when we think about what's happening in history according to, to God's heavenly perspective, then we begin to understand the real nature of it and the real purposes become clear and so on and so forth. So if you will, this first part is a little overview from God's perspective of what's happening on the earth when, when Jesus dies on the cross. And uh, it's very important to see these things from a heavenly perspective. Set your mind, the scripture says, on heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth. For you died and your life is now hidden in Christ with God. Amen? And, and so we need to have this, employ this mind of Christ that we have. Well, the cross, what happened there? In the beginning of our lesson on the Savior, the person of Jesus Christ, we discussed the fact that God had created the world to display his glory through his work of providence in and through history. Further, that the Bible is a unified whole narrative recording for us the history of God's work of redemption in the world. So we're saying the Bible is one storyline. Remember this discussion. The very beginning of our lesson back in September. The Bible is one storyline explaining to us God's redemptive plan throughout history. And this is why, if you will, if you follow the whole Old Testament all the way back from the very beginning, it traces the genealogy of the families of Christ. Because it, it, it is a, it is a storyline, if you will, of, of how God has interacted with mankind in the purpose of redemption. And it culminates at the cross. It culminates at, uh, if you will, the beginning of the New Testament. And it's there even when you open the New Testament. The first things you read on the pages of the New Testament is a genealogy. And it's a genealogy that's looking back to all that God had recorded in the Old Testament, bringing us to this final set of events that God was going to use to to fulfill his purposes in Christ, in the Gospels, okay? And then the Gospels are the recording of those actual historical events that happened. And uh, so it's important to understand the Bible is this unified whole. It's a narrative that describes to us God's purposes of redemption. And, um, of course, we went over that. And this, this unified whole we refer to as redemptive history. The Bible is a recording of redemptive history. Even the idea that the Bible gives us prophetic passages speaking about events that are yet to take place in time and space, it speaks of them as if they have already happened. Right? And, and if you will, we've read all the way to the end of the book. We've read all the way to, so that we see the whole culmination of, history, of the history of time and space. God has recorded it in the Bible for us. And so redemptive history doesn't just stop at the Gospels. 
it goes on until God's purposes are ultimately accomplished and fulfilled and the saints are in heaven glorified with God forever and ever. Amen? And, and uh, if you will, even the prophetic passages are a record of redemptive history before they even happen. Okay? And, of course, the Old Testament was like this. The Old Testament was prophesying of the acts of redemptive history long before they ever came to pass. Amen? The book of Isaiah was written some 700 years before Christ was even born and speaks to minute details of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And, and so uh, the Bible is this redemptive history. That is the history of redemption, which is the primary purpose of God in the creation of the world and mankind. Now, listen to this statement, that redemption is the primary purpose of God in the creation of the world. And you might remember, uh, if you were in our class last year, we talked about the fact that God has an ultimate purpose in everything that he does, right? And God's ultimate purpose is what? The ultimate purpose of God. To glorify himself. Right? That God created everything in order to glorify himself. And therefore, everything that God has done in the creation serves this ultimate purpose that he has. Right? And so that includes creation. God created all things to manifest the glory and excellency of his own nature as God. That's why things exist, to glorify God. Things exist to manifest the glory of, of his nature, right? We look at the beauty of the mountains and the hills and the trees and the universe and the planets and the stars. We look at all that stuff and we what? We glorify the creator for, for the magnificence of, of, his, of his nature and his being and his intelligence and his wisdom, amen? And so the creation serves that purpose. And then furthermore, God's providence serves this same purpose. That is that God is directing the events of the course of history uh, is what we call providence. God is directing the events of the course of history, bringing his universe to his own expected ends, the ends for which he planned it long ages before he created it. And so providence is the active participation of God in his creation to bring to pass his ultimate ends of his universe. Well, this work of providence that God does also serves this purpose. It is manifesting the glory and excellency of, uh, of God's own nature. It's manifesting his sovereignty, his mighty power, his great wisdom. Providence does the same work. Okay? But then also, there's two more things. You might remember we had a chart talking about this. There's two more things that God has done that serve this great purpose of manifesting his glory. Those are redemption and judgment or damnation. Okay? And these are in regard specifically to man who has been created in the image of God. Okay? No other beings like men. Man is a specific being that God created. It's the pinnacle of his created works. And man is the only being to, to have been said in the scripture to have been created in the image of God. And in regard to man and what God is doing, 
God has redeemed mankind. And so we talk about the redemption of God. So when it comes to us as human beings and our relationship to God and our glorifying of God or the reason why we exist, right, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? That in regard to that, without redemption, we have no basis on which to relate to God. As a matter of fact, if we haven't been redeemed, we probably don't even recognize Him. We probably go through our life largely ignoring Him or paying any attention to Him at all, right? And so this work of redemption is something that God does that also serves this purpose. So when we're talking about the cross and how God has related to mankind and the problem of alienation from God, we need to think about it in terms of the fact that it is the primary thing that God has done in his relationship with mankind in order to fulfill this purpose that he has. So when we say that we're talking about the primary purpose of God in history is redemption, that's because... that's exactly what he's done. The primary thing that he's done is reconcile man to himself so that this can take place. This glorifying of his excellency and nature as God, our Savior, the loving and merciful and faithful God who's filled with goodness and patience and kindness and love. Those terms are all terms that come to us through the redemptive work of the cross. Are you with me? Therefore, the cross is primary in this manifestation of the attributes of God to us people. Okay? So it's not the primary thing in which the whole universe consists. That is the manifestation of God's excellency and glory and nature as God. But it is the primary thing in regard to God's relationship with mankind. Are you with me? Okay, so I didn't want to get anybody confused on that. But I want, to, I want to help remind you that God is over all of this. This is his world. He's the sovereign. Amen? He's the providential God of the universe. Right? Nothing happens except what he bids happen by his sovereign will. Amen? Well, uh, okay, so then. Then the, the scripture is for us a recording of the redemptive acts of God. It is redemptive history okay and and so as we think about this and we think about the knowledge of god all right let's think for just a minute about the knowledge of god god knows everything he knows the whole record of human history from before he ever created the universe right not only that but god decreed god decreed with a spoken word everything that should come to pass in his universe from before he ever created it You remember that discussion on God's eternal decrees, right? We talked about that at great length. You have to understand, if God knows everything from before the creation of the earth, he has therefore, by nature, decreed everything that should come to pass. Especially because he's a God of providence that works in his creation with active and passive uh, uh, work to bring to pass his ultimate purposes. Okay? What we're saying is God knows everything that's going to happen in history because he decreed that it should happen. Okay? And if you need to learn more about that, you can go on my website, heavenslight.org. 
go to the Sovereignty of God series and click on the part that says the Sovereignty of God uh, in Eternal Decrees. I think it's part three in the, in the section there. And there's, there's a lot of scriptures, a lot, lot to learn there. But um, so the point is, when we th- start thinking in an overview sense of what God has done in the cross, we have to think of it like this. That the cross is the fulfillment of the decrees of God from eternity past. In other words, let me put it in real simple layman's terms. The cross happened because God planned it. And it came to pass exactly like he planned it because he is God. Are you with me? He didn't make a plan and then stumble. He didn't make a plan and then falter. He didn't make a plan and then have some puny little devil who he created get in the way. Are you with me? It's all happening like God decreed it to happen. This is very important for us to understand. And so when we think about the cross, we need to think about it from a heavenly perspective. It is that which God has done himself. The cross is the work of God. It was planned by God. It was foreknown by God. It was predestined by God. Are you with me? All of those things have happened at the sovereignty of the almighty and all-knowing God. Amen? Okay, and we're going to look at some scripture that describes that. But we need to have this view of the cross. Lest we begin to think about the cross in earthly terms. You know, we kind of feel like we're just going along through history and things happen and, and without necessarily paying any attention to where God is at in all of this. Are you with me? And so when we talk about the cross, we need to first and foremost understand that this, this is an event that happened by the predetermined purpose and plan of God. We call it the plan of redemption. Okay, And that's why I put this chart that you have on page one of the lesson back here on page 37. Because when we talk about uh, Jesus, the person, what we were saying back then is the Bible records redemptive history and Jesus is the focal point of it all. Jesus, the person, his person, God, the son incarnate in, in the flesh of the man, Jesus Christ is the focal point of all of human history. Why? Because when we get here and start talking about the work of Jesus Christ, we see that the focal point of all of history is what God has done in Christ. Are you with me? So it's important, again, to understand this thing of sovereignty and providence and eternal decree because those are the building blocks of what has happened at the cross. Okay? So then, the scripture would put it something like this. Galatians 4.4 But when the fullness of time came, at just the right time, God sent His Son. Right? Born of a woman, born under the law, in order that He might redeem. You see that? When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son in order that He might redeem. Okay? Redemptive history. 
the fullness of time, at just the right time in God's plan for history. That's when Jesus came. Okay? All right. So then, Jesus Christ is the focus of the entire Bible, both Old and New Testaments. He is the Savior of the world, and his saving work was accomplished at the cross of Calvary. Okay, here's what we're saying. The saving work of Christ was accomplished at the cross. The work that he did, the thing that he did. And yes, he the person is the reality of it all, hanging on the cross and dying. But that work that he did, the saving work of God was accomplished. Redemption was accomplished at the cross. Okay? Consider then that in the course of history, God's purpose to redeem fallen mankind from their sin by sending his son Jesus Christ into the world to give his life as a sacrifice and be raised from the dead is primary among all the things which God has purposed to do. This is God's plan of redemption. And of course, you know, I'm showing you there in the chart that in the scripture, in both the Old and the New Testaments, when the scripture speaks about the cross, okay, it, it, in, the, in the Old Testament, you have these messianic types and prophecies that all point to Christ's saving work on the cross. And remember how we went through some of those Old Testament pictures and we were talking about the fact that, you know, this thing with Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac, you know, on the mountain wasn't just about Abraham and Isaac, now was it? Right? And we had these pictures and these portraits of God's redemptive work all pointing to this reality that's going to happen in Christ. So the Old Testament, it, with just those few examples there on the chart, with the Proto-Evangel and with Abraham and Isaac and with the Passover and with uh, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, how the Old Testament is progressively making this thing more and more clear that's going to happen on the cross at Calvary with the Messiah. And that the whole Old Testament and the whole biblical narrative in the Old Testament is looking forward to those events that were going to take place on the cross. So then, when the fullness of time came and God sent forth his son to redeem, that's exactly what he did. He came and he redeemed. And so then what we have in the New Testament is a record of those historical events that took place by which God redeemed. And so we read the Gospels. What are the Gospels? The Gospels are a record, a historical narrative recording the events of the redemption. Right? They're historical narratives recording the events of the atonement. They are, they are in fact, uh, going on with this redemptive historical narrative. And so now the New Testament is doing this marvelous thing for us. It's taking those events that happened in the Gospels and it's explaining them to us with all their clarity and with all their profound mystery. God's holy apostles and prophets are delineating to us all that happened there on the cross because it's a marvelous mystery. Amen? And so the Old Testament narrative was looking forward to the cross and the New Testament narrative and didactic portions are looking back at the cross and saying, look what God has done. Amen? And then, of course, we have prophetic passages that also speak to us of future events that have yet to take place, but even those, like I said earlier, are a record of redemptive history. Ultimately, those events are going to happen, and they're going to be history. Amen? 
Okay, so then uh, moving on to uh, page 38 there. This plan of redemption opens up a whole new understanding for us then concerning God's activity in directing the events of history. We see then and therefore that Jesus Christ and his atoning work at the cross become the very focal point of history and thus the key event in the history of the world and this by the eternal plans of God himself. Okay, so what we're saying is, is that that thing that happened at the cross with Jesus, the Son of God, dying there is the focal point of all of human history. And all of that happened at the eternal plans of God. That God planned the whole thing from the beginning. Not only did he plan it, but he decreed it. He decreed it. Okay? And um, simply stated, God planned to crucify Jesus on the cross from before the creation of the world. Right? Well, you say that's a fancy idea, preacher. Where do you find that in the Bible? Acts 2.22 and following. Right? Look at the words there. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And so there the scripture says specifically that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross happened because he was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Okay? And of course... You may not be aware of all the subtleties that go on in theological arguments, but, you know, the cross is always under attack. The, the work that God has done in Christ is, is, is always and constantly and continually being uh, attacked by false teachers and by, and by uh, men who seek to have all kinds of, the, of, of other uh, religious ideas and things in order to put forth their own ends rather than being faithful to the message which God has testified to in Scripture. And, and so what's happening is, you, you know, uh, for instance, right now there's a big argument, theological society, um, over uh, penal substitutionary atonement. The idea that God punished Jesus Christ for the debt of sin. Okay? And, uh, and, and that, that, that thought of that, which is biblically true, okay, which is a reality, Christ was punished for sins by God, okay? The reality of that is constantly and continually under attack, okay? But when you, when you look at a passage like this, the Bible is so clear about this. That Jesus was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Not only did God foreknow the event to take place in history, but he predetermined that it should happen. That's decree. Are you with me? And the Bible couldn't be more clear about this. I mean, this isn't just one place. This is all over the scripture. How about 
Genesis 22. How about Isaiah 53? Right? How about Psalm 22? How about all the types and shadows of, of Christ throughout the whole Old Testament? Which would take more than both hands and feet to count all those, right? And, and the point is, is that, um, all of those things that were written hundreds of years before Christ came to be were all God's holy word prophesying and speaking of the predetermined plan that he had. Does not Isaiah 53 say right there in the very narrative itself, 700 years before the events came to pass, that it pleased the Lord to crush him and that he would bear our sins in his body on the tree? And, and does that not speak about the very plan of God and what would come to pass in the life of the Messiah at the cross? Amen? So it's important to see these things as they are presented so clearly in the scripture. So when we think about the cross of Jesus Christ, the Savior, we must understand that he is not some Galilean peasant in history who did some good things and had some wise teachings. But rather, he is God, very God, incarnate as a man, accomplishing the primary work of the eternal plans of God, which were made before the creation of the world. That's a biblical view of Jesus on the cross. It's a view from heaven. It's a view that understands and takes into account the sovereignty of the Almighty God and his providence in carrying out his plans. Okay? Everybody with me? Okay. For instance, consider 1 Peter 1.18. There it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. And again, here Peter now speaking of the fact that the death of Christ on the cross, his precious blood that was shed there, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Right? And you may remember from our study of foreknowledge that that doesn't just mean that God has uh, foresight of events that will take place. But the idea of the word foreknown is that it has an intimacy and an idea of love that is carried with it, right? In other words, Christ was foreloved by God in that place of dying on the cross. It's a very intimate and personal thing for Christ to be foreknown by God in, in this ministry of dying on the cross, okay? I'm telling you, it's the most important thing that has happened in the history of the world or will ever happen. It's the focal point of all of history. It's the fulcrum on which all of history balances. Okay? It's important that we understand why the universe was created. Let me put it in these terms. The universe was created so that Jesus Christ could die on a cross. History exists so that Jesus Christ could die on a cross. Why? Because that's how God has chosen to manifest the excellency of his divine nature as God. He's chosen to reveal it most fully in the man Christ Jesus dying on the cross. 
Amen? Okay. Therefore, when we consider the cross of Christ, we must realize that there the perfect plans of the perfect God, plans to save mankind from sin, have found their fulfillment. More than this, <coughs> excuse me, more than this, that Jesus Christ is that God himself come to earth for this great purpose, to save his people from their sins, and that is exactly what he has done. Amen? Now, you may think, now, why are you way off in all this theological stuff? We're talking about the cross, right? And here's why I'm way off on all this theological stuff. Because there could not be better news for you that God is in control of what happened on the cross. Because what it means is, is that exactly what God set out to do to accomplish redemption, He did in fact accomplish. And it is certain. It is sure. It is complete. It is final. It is abiding. Are you with me? And, And listen, man didn't have anything to do with it. Except the man Christ Jesus, who is the God-man. Who was the only one able and worthy to carry out that act. Amen? Amen. And so, here's this glorious thing of, of why this is so important. Why is the sovereignty and the providence and the eternal decree of God in the plan of redemption so important to the cross? Here's why. Because God accomplished exactly what he set out to do. He set out to save. He set out to redeem. He set out to reconcile. Amen? He set out to justify. And family, those are all words that describe the saints in their glorious position with God through Christ. Amen? You are justified. Completely fully, finally. Are you with me? Okay? God didn't leave anything undone. And and in fact, God saved you in spite of you. And in spite of me. Amen? It's God's work. It ain't your work. The work of God for you is this, to believe on the one he has sent. We call it faith. Amen? That's the work of God. Listen, this is God's work. This is God's plan. He brought it to pass, and, and, and all the glory is His. Amen? Okay, well, I hope that, that some of that is ringing home with you, and that uh, you're encouraged by those things. Amen? You know, you, if you're wondering if you can be saved... I mean, you know the reality of the wickedness of your own evil heart. And you're really struggling inside at times with, am I really saved or, or can I really be saved? <laughs> can a person who thinks the kinds of thoughts I think and do the kinds of things I do really be saved? Let me tell you, <laughs> you can be saved. All things are possible with God. And if it were up to you, you'd be hopelessly lost. Amen? But let me tell you, what God does, He does 
properly. He does completely. He does finally. And this is what I'm saying. What God set out to do in the cross at Calvary, he did. It's done. The Savior said, it is finished. Amen? Final. Done. Over. To Telestai, right? Paid in full. Amen? That's why we don't glory in the flesh. But we glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? Okay. Matthew 121 says this about uh, the birth of Jesus. And she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Amen? There are the words of the angel being expressed at the, at the uh, Annunciation. And then Second Timothy 1, 8 and following. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought to life an immortality to light through the gospel. Amen? Family, those are all realities. Those are all realities. Those are has-beens. Those are have-beens. Those are things that God has accomplished in Christ. It's sure. Amen? God isn't wavering on this thing. He, he accomplished exactly what he set out to do. Amen? And if you are in Christ Jesus, listen, the fulfillment of the ages has come upon you. This glorious gospel is your possession. Even the Lord Jesus himself is your possession. He is our wisdom and our righteousness before God. Amen? Okay, well. Because the cross is the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption, it is absolutely sufficient to accomplish the ends for which God planned it. Are you with me? I mean, I want, that, I want you to get that into the deepest part of your soul. Listen, when you're struggling with sin, you have no greater encouragement than this. That God's plan of redemption fulfilled in Christ is absolutely sufficient to accomplish the ends for which God planned it. What did he plan it for? To save you. To redeem you from sin. To reconcile you to himself. To, uh, to deliver you from your sins. To deliver you from the power of the enemy. To release you, it says in Revelation 1.5, from your sins. I'm telling you, he accomplished exactly that in Christ. Fear not, little children. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Amen? Rest in the cross. It's his work. Okay? Love him. Love his nature. Love his character. Hate your sins. And you should see thereby... An increasing frequency of righteousness and holiness and love in your life and a decreasing frequency of sin. And that's why it's such a battle. That's why it's such a struggle. Because we're putting off sins. Look, if you weren't struggling with your sins, then you'd have reason to really (laughs) doubt whether or not you've been saved. Are you with me? But if it's a great struggle with sin for you, 
chances are that's a good indication that you've been born again by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? God is so good to us. Well, the redemption that was obtained by God in Christ at the cross was altogether sublime and magnanimous. It was a display of divine wisdom and love beyond wonder and filled with amazement. The cross was, as some have said, the blazing center of the glory of God. It was there that all of the attributes of God become crystal clear for all to see and that they reach red-hot intensity. O sovereign love, O blessed mercy, at the cross divine justice was met and heavenly goodness was poured out like a river. At the cross, God's wrath has been satisfied and sinners have been cleansed, washed and restored to loving fellowship with God once again. The cross richly affords all the blessing of God for whom he intended it and they shall be the recipients of it for God will see to it. Are you with me? Family, this is the greatest treasure that we have. It's the Savior, the Lord Jesus, on the cross. There he has accomplished for us reconciliation with God. And because of that fact, we have been restored in fellowship to God, and we shall live forever in eternal bliss in his presence with him forever and ever, world without end. Amen? Listen, the cross is the wellspring from which all that blessing flows. Without it, none of it is possible. With it, it is all ours. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians one twenty one, Right? Titus 3, 4 through 7 says this, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. <laughs> I mean, those words are just infinitely profound. Are they not? Think about what God has done. It is amazing. It ought to fill our mouth with praise. It ought to fill our heart with thanksgiving. Amen? Well, in summary... What happened at the cross was the main event of God's redemptive plan was completed. It is an historical event, an objective fact, a reality of paramount importance. I want to talk to you for just a minute about these these words I just mentioned. Historical. Historical event. Okay? Let me tell you something about the cross. The cross is a historical event. You say, where are you going with that? Here's where I'm going with that. Jesus died on the cross. You say, what do you mean? Why do you talk like that? Because you understand, 
Most people in the world think that it's a matter of faith. And it is. Okay? But let me tell you something. It's faith in a historical event that actually happened. It's real. It's reality. Let me give you another word. It is true. It is that which is according to fact. It actually happened. It is an event. It's something that's real. It's real. It's not a fairy tale. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross of Calvary, or He did not. Either that is an historical event that actually happened, or it is not. And if it is, if it did happen, then it is true. It is factual. It is real. It actually took place. Are you with me? You understand, this postmodern world we live in, everything is slippery. Right? You know why? Because that's a perfect place for devils to live. Because he's a slippery, sly snake. Are you with me? And he doesn't like these words. True, real, historical. Right? He doesn't like those. He doesn't like things to be objective. He doesn't like it to be something that you look at that exists, that's real, that's, that's rational. He doesn't like that. He wants it to be subjective. You know, oh, oh, that Jesus thing, well, you know, that's true for you. Hey, you know, hey, you found a way. Hey, that works for you, man. Cool, right on. As if Jesus is not the only way or something like that. You know, and, and, and here's the whole thing. You know, either Jesus is the only way or he's not. Or there, there's some other way. Tell me how you're going to be reconciled to a holy God without the unblemished Lamb of God dying on a cross for your sins and making a propitiation and appeasing the wrath of God. How's that going to happen? And you know what? You, you, people wonder why Christianity is so exclusive. Because there's no other way to be reconciled to God. Namely, because God is the one who does the reconciling. And he's only done it one way. Are you with me? You follow me? You get my line of reasoning here? And, and you know, here's this deal. People are so squirrely. And, and listen, the Bible is not squirrely. Because it's talking about objective, real, true, actual facts that happened. It's an historical event. Your faith is believing in an actual event where an actual person actually died as a propitiation for your actual sins. And that that payment is the actual price required to reconcile you unto God. Are you with me? And so what, what, why all this? Because this speaks of the certainty of the fact that salvation has been accomplished. Are you with me? It's something that has actually happened. It's not just some story in a book. <laughs> Amen? And of course we all know that the death of Jesus Christ on a cross 2,000 years ago is a historically verified fact. No matter how many times the devil keeps trying to reinvent things that cause us to cast doubt upon those events. He would like nothing more than for you to find out somehow it's all a big fairy tale. 
He's been trying to tell himself that for 2,000 years. Are you with me? Okay. At the cross, Christ died for sinners in their place to redeem them from sin. At the cross, God's wrath for sin was satisfied by Christ's sacrifice and this reconciled mankind back to God from whom they had been estranged for all who will embrace it by faith. Those are all facts, family. Those are all real truths. Those are rational, reasonable truths, even though they only come by divine revelation. Amen? Amen. Colossians puts it this way, that God, uh, he has now reconciled you. You see how the Bible speaks about those things in reality? It's a fact. He has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. That's how the Bible presents it to us. If you're in Christ, you have been reconciled to God through the physical death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Amen? Well, we're going to learn when we study justification that he presents us to himself holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That doesn't mean that we are immediately changed to be that way. We have received the nature of God, being born again by the Spirit. But now we are progressively being sanctified and being conformed into His image. Amen? And that's why we still struggle with sin. But nevertheless, positionally, we stand before God in Christ, holy and blameless and beyond reproach, because of His sacrifice on the cross. Because there he paid the debt of all of our sins. Past, present, and future. Amen? You with me? Historical fact. (laughs) And it's beneficial and it's proficient for those of us who believe. Amen? Amen? Okay. And for those who don't believe, it's their very condemnation. Either Christ is the smell of life or he's the smell of death. Amen? Okay, well, so then, next week we'll take up uh, with this idea of the atonement. What is, what is the atonement? And uh, I want to tell you, I, I, I think this is just, it's just thrilling. I've been studying this for several weeks now, and, and I, I have learned things that I, I, I had no idea about as I dived off into this thing. And uh, uh, at least the finer details of it all are really becoming clear to me. And I want to tell you, this stuff is thrilling. That's why I want to encourage you to try to put some effort into this study. Maybe go out and grab this book I'm telling you about. Or grab another book. There's several good books on the atonement. Um, There's several good books. I'm I'm reading another uh, good book that's called The Message of the Cross. And it's the part... I'll get you the... um, I'll get you the uh, the name and the author. It's part of a series that was done uh, back in the uh, 70s. Um, but just a fabulous book on the cross and on the atonement. And, and there are many good, good works out there. Uh, but 
I just want to encourage you to kind of dive off into this thing, and, and le- there's so much to learn here. We're going to be talking about these ideas that are in the atonement. The fact that it's substitutionary, that it's vicarious, that it's propitiatory, that it's expiatory, that it, uh, what happens is justification, that it's all surrounding this sacrifice, and that it brings about reconciliation and redemption, and that all of these things are salvific. Okay, all of those terms are biblical terms that are employed to talk about what Christ did on the cross. And it's important for us as Christians to know and understand these things. Okay, and, and, and uh, let me tell you, there is nothing that will enhance your love for Christ and what he has done for you as understanding these things from the scripture and seeing them in the scripture and knowing what the concepts mean and embracing them. It's just like God is just filling your cup of salvation full. And then when you get to understand it, you get to just drink it in. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this uh, glorious cross of our (laughs) Lord Jesus. I pray, God, supernaturally, that you would work in our heart, God, to treasure the cross. To not only treasure our Lord who died there, but, Lord, the thing that he has done. Oh God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, by this, make us holy. Strengthen us in our faith, God. Encourage us, God, to, to, to be uh, uh, effective and productive ministers of the gospel. I pray, God, that as we look and study this cross, Lord, that we would be changed by it and that we would become like Jesus. We thank you for all that you are to us and all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.